0: Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie.
1: Welcome, everyone. It is the month of April, and we are broadcasting live from the Voice America Studio in sunny, beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. I want you to know that I am more than six feet away from any human human being here. And the wonders of radio has it that I may be as far away as the sound of my voice. So know that. But my radio shows in the month of April traditionally have been very happy. You know, it's springtime, it's Easter. Uh, warm weather, the flowers are blooming, love is in the air. So let me start off with some happy news, right, especially at a time like this. I start off with my honorable mentions in San Diego. I say hello to in honorable mentions to my sorority sisters at Celayan Filipina Sorority who are listening in today. Como esta? To Joy Ella de Guzman and all my sisters there. Also to my high school classmate, Olin Golden, in Imperial Beach, listening in. Hello, Olin. Hello, Tyler. Happy Passover last week to my Jewish friends and listeners. Happy Easter last Sunday to all my Christian friends. April's also a special month in my family. My grandson, Alexander, turns three on Sunday. We're going to have a drive-by parade. We're going to wave to him, give him his gifts, and then he's going to go inside the house with his parents and his sisters and have a Zoom birthday party with the theme of Dinosaurs. His father, my eldest son, Andrew, celebrates his birthday next week. Happy birthday, Andrew, in advance. Sorry, son, no dinosaurs for you. April birthdays predominate among my friends. I'm going to name them here who celebrate the month of April as a birthday. Donald Pruitt, David Borneman, and his lovely wife, Vita, is listening in to celebrate celebrated this birthday. Joan Martin, Astarte Burnett, my big sister, Maddie Williams- Hardy Good, Jerry Stadler, Tim Snyder, Curtis Devine, Uncle Don Murphy in California, Barb Mullet, Scott Colson, Teddy McClain, Daniel Bunn in Medford, Oregon, Gregory, Bridget Gregory in Arizona, Jennifer Myers in Arizona, Joe Parrish in Sedona, Lillian Evidente, Sue Stevens, Carmen Reno, and many more. You know, it seems like a lot of birthdays in April, but... You know, April isn't the month that has the most birthdays. Do you know which month has the most birthdays? Well, September. September is the most popular birthday month in America. Birth data compiled from 20 years of American birth show that mid-September is the most birthday packed time of the year with September 9 being the most popular day to be born in America, followed by September 19th. And again, happy birthday to you all. Also happy anniversary this month to Andrew and Erin, his beautiful wife. So lots of happy things, but it's tough when a lot of sad things are going on during this time. And what we're talking about, and you well know, is we're in the middle of a war. We're battling against an invisible enemy, COVID-19 or coronavirus. On our show last month, we had the infection control expert, Buffy Lloyd who was very helpful in discussing how to slow the spread of this virus. And I wanna clarify one thing about our credentials that I might've misspoke last month, Buffy is completing her doctorate through Capella University with research through the University of Arizona. So I think this month, if I'm recalling correctly, she should be getting her PhD. So congratulations to Dr. Buffy, the the infection expert. After our last show, there've been a lot of questions and obviously a lot of concern about COVID-19 from many, many people, especially my 320 some patients out there who have many, many questions. If you look at the numbers, and, and it's nonstop if you look at the news, right now we have over two million people who've been infected with this virus. The number of the deaths globally is over 144,000. The number of recoveries, 546,000 over that many. If you look at the US, we have over 647,000 infected with this virus, with 34, over 34,000 deaths as of to date. And then the recovery has been at least 57,000 people, and then active infections, 582,000. And the hope is that this these numbers will begin to plateau, slow down, and then we can start seeing a decline. But it's impacted us in so many ways. You can't escape it. It's changed us in terms of our our physicality. We have to social distance. It's dramatically changed us financially. People have lost jobs. They've lost investments. Things that were everyday parts of life are gone. Shopping, dining out, being out with our friends, going to games and movies and shows, shaking hands, traveling on airplanes. And there's so many things. There's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, I have nonstop calls from my patients, emails about what's going on out there, lots of questions. And I wanna share briefly some of these questions. First one, should I wear a mask? And I know California has mandated wearing a mask. New York has. The CDC has recommended that all Americans wear a mask when going in public. But I tell people the mask will not prevent you from getting COVID-19. It may decrease your ability to transmit the virus if you have it to others if for some, for some reason you don't, if you don't have symptoms. The most important role of the mask is to decrease the number of times you touch your face, thus protecting you. Now, if you have an N95 mask, <clears throat> that's what's recommended for healthcare care workers. That's the one that can actively protect you from the virus, from getting it. But that's being reserved for healthcare care workers. And then the question I hear up is, what's the best way to prove I actually have COVID-19? Well, there's a polymerase uh transcriptase uh, chain reaction test. That's a test which confirms the diagnosis of COVID-19. That's the one, if you have symptoms, they usually triage you before you go to the ER. They do it by phone. You go to the ER, don't just show up, but call ahead of time. And then they do the nasal pharyngeal swab. They put it down your nose, deep into your throat, and then they take the swab. They send that off to the lab to diagnose if you have active COVID-19. That's the only way to tell actively. How do you know if you have immunity? Well, that's a special blood test. And a lot of patients have called me saying, well, my buddy down the street's paying $150. If you go to this person's house, they do a blood test. I said, that has not been FDA approved. So far as of this date, the company called Celex has received FDA approval for this test that checks specifically for IgG, the antibody that shows past exposure to COVID-19. Abbott Diagnostics has received approval, Mayo Clinic is working on it, so be wary about what's out there because if you are positive from one of these tests that we received emergency authorization to test, wasn't FDA approval, but emergency authorization, there's so many of them, you could be positive, have no symptoms, don't think you're immune. You could be positive to another coronavirus that was out there in the fall or a few months ago that's not specifically COVID-19. So wait till the specific test that checks IgG antibody to COVID-19 and not the general coronavirus. What's the best way to treat COVID-19? Supportive care, hydration, Tylenol is important. There's no known treatment. There are a couple of multiple ongoing clinical trials with some success. They've talked about hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. Uh, the combination hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC, pak remdesivir, which is used in HIV, have been used, plasma infusions into patients who are sick from patients who have recovered have been used. Normally, you can't just go to your doctor and say, hey, give me hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC in case I get it. It's being reserved for people in the hospital right now. So don't, don't try to, to get that. What's the best way to protect myself? Obviously, social distancing, stay at home, avoid other people. Number one, wash your hands, soap and water, 20 seconds. Keep that going. Don't touch your face. Don't travel to places that have been exposed, right? So those are commonly the questions I get. You know, the symptoms, fever of over 100.4, profound muscle aches, dry cough, sore throat. Sometimes people say they have a loss of sense of smell, loss of appetite, And then the shortness of breath, definitely if you have shortness of breath, you need to get seen for that. Don't rush to the emergency room. They don't want you showing up unannounced. A lot of people say call your primary care doctor and then they will refer you to a number to call so they can do a phone triage and tell you when to come in. And my patients would say call me. So those are things to be worried about. Definitely if you have shortness of breath, confusion, starting to turn blue, all those things. Don't drive yourself to the hospital, have your family drive you. Underlying conditions for people 65 and older are concerns. If you have respiratory disease, lung problems, heart problems, kidney problems, diabetes, those are all of concern. So many, many things with that. So, and this is ongoing. We're, we're finding out more information because this is a new virus. Novel means we haven't seen it before. So we're soy, sort of learning as we go along, right? So we're learning from other people, other countries what to do. But it's hard. It's hard because we're stressed out. We can't get away from all the news that's going on, all these questions, There's a lot of misinformation. I look at all this, what's going on, and there are two things I'm going to predict right now. In nine months, we're going to see this. One is good, and the other is not so good. First one is, in nine months, there's going to be a baby boom, Okay, Baby boom. And in nine months, we'll probably see a rise in divorce rate. Why? Well, stress is high. Everyone's affected. We've got an insidious and invisible enemy that's deadly. You know, we're under a lot of stress. People have lost loved ones, they've lost jobs. Over 30,000 Americans have died from this this, this disease. Our lives have changed. So we're stressed. I mean, what are we to do, right? So this is when you take a deep breath, hit the pause button, rely on your resilience or our ability to bounce back to a capacity to where we were before. How do we do that? How do we bounce back? But even more challenging, can we survive and thrive at a time like this when things are really rough? So that brings today our special call-in guest, who I asked to speak with us, who's an expert on resiliency, the ability to bounce back from difficult times. And I'm going to read you his bio. Dr. Michael Cofield is a PhD. He's a consulting psychologist in private practice for over 30 years. He is a board-certified diplomate in, the, in clinical health psychology. He was also the director of behavioral medicine and employee counseling for two major medical centers in the Phoenix area for many years. He's consulted nationally and locally with businesses in the areas of enhanced resilience, stress management, wellness, and has received advanced training from the Harvard-affiliated Benson Henry Institute of Mind-Body Medicine. Dr. Cofield's the author of The Roadmap to Peace of Mind, which has been used by over 200,000 mental health clients worldwide. He is also the author and developer of two online platforms, Resiliency for Life and Healthy Mindsets. So very important things he's helped out people. He's also a dear friend of my late husband and mine, a former pilot, and just a wonderful, great guy. So he's our call-in guest today, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Cofield.
2: I was having a little trouble hearing you. I'm still here.
1: Oh, okay. Speak up, Doctor. This is Doctor Michael Cofield. Welcome to our show. How are you? We okay, having a little stress so, trying to log on. But,
2: sorry about that. Thank you for inviting me. A um, little bit of trouble hearing, but I think we can. I uh, think we can work around that. It's my pleasure. And that, by the way, was a great update. That's the. That was just super.
1: Well, you know, you hear enough of it on TV and then to the point where you max out and it stresses you and I just turn it off. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm going to socially isolate. I'm going to make sure I I take care of myself, physically isolate, socially connect. But it's like up to a point. Okay, what what can I do? What can I do? But as you well know, this is a really, really stressful time. Dr. Michael Cofield, how does anyone get through this? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, you had to start with a real easy question first. I see. Thanks, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh, I'd say the short answer would be some better than others. Okay, you're right. It is an extremely stressful time for everybody. I hear people describe it as, and I'm sure you have too, as an unprecedented black swan event, the pandemic from hell, and a few other things that I can't uh, can't repeat here. But, uh, you know, if someone were to tell me today that uh, they didn't feel that their resiliency was being challenged by what's happening, I'd be really worried about it. Uh, but at some point, I do believe things are going to normalize, and there's going to be some sort of stabilization that's going to happen. I mean, that's kind of the history of the country. We do get past these things and, and, and all. But um, there's going to be some. You mentioned the ability to bounce back and, and recover from adversity, and that's the basic definition of resiliency, but there's going to be a significant percentage, in my opinion, who are probably not going to fare so well. Some will do well, others will maybe even do better, but there'll be a percentage that won't uh, won't do as well. And you know, Dr. Connie, you know from your own practice, you can have two people who have who have the same external set of circumstances or the same illness or disease, and in interacting with them, that you quickly learn that one of them is going to suffer greatly, and the other one's going to pull it together and somehow get through a very difficult times. I'm sure you've had that. Am I right?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, people react in different ways. When I lost my husband, probably the most best stressful time for me was losing my husband unexpectedly in July. And the way I deal with stress is I keep working. I have to do that. I have to do something. Mm-hmm. And we all right. react in different ways. Um, one of the things I want to explore uh, after our brief break coming up is the main elements of resiliency. So uh, if you stay tuned, everybody, I'm going to return in a few minutes after this brief break with Dr. Michael Cofield, who's our special guest, to talk about uh, the main elements of resiliency to help us get through this time. Stay tuned.
3: Become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America
4: who's your doctor when I was looking for a doctor I thought which person gets the best care of all and whose doctors credentials are the most carefully reviewed well the answer was obvious who looks after the president of the United States
6: Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com we
3: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
0: You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's one 888 346 You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie.
1: I know you're all feeling stressed out there, and this is a stressful time in our history. And this virus has affected all of us. And I've asked Dr. Michael Cofield, who's a Ph.D. in Consulting Psychologist, to be our call-in guest today to talk about resiliency. And Dr. Cofield, can you explain the main elements of resiliency?
2: Of course, yeah, there are there are several ways to think about it, but what we found in our experience is that there are basically four elements, uh, we refer to them as four pillars, which uh, it can either stand alone, but they also work well individually. And uh, the nice thing about the resiliency, literature is that it's, it's based on some pretty solid scientific findings, and so we try to include the ones that have, that have those. The first pillar is referred to as mental hardiness, and it deals with the, the resilient mindset and factors that have been associated with higher levels of ability to resist and, and, and withstand adversity. The second pillar is social connectivity, such an important one today with all this uh, social distancing and all of that. And it uh, really, it actually, may be one of the top predictors of your level of resiliency. The third one got a funny name. We call it building mind, body, muscle, memory, because under the sustained stress of what we're experiencing now. But just even prior to all this, even in general, regular life, um, you know, our nervous systems get overactivated, and you uh, need ways to to unplug and to calm yourself. And so that's an important one. Now, the last one has to do with sparking positive emotions. For example, we know a lot about what negative emotions do to us and the problems they can cause, but the positive emotions have uh, been revealed to have some very potent effects in resiliency as well.
1: You mentioned the resilient mindset. Why is that so important?
2: <clears throat> um, there was, a, if, if I could just give you a brief Study, summary of a brief study, but just fascinating, and it has such application today. Uh, during one of the most difficult times in American business history, there was a, a company, AT and T. Everybody knows who that is. was deregulated, and it created a tremendous source of distress within the workforce. They were so worried about it, they did a 12 year longitudinal study to see what was what was up and what was, what the impact was going to be. And at the end of it. There were two findings, and it really applies to what you said earlier, Dr. Connie. Uh, one finding was that the vast majority of the people in there sh- a, in the study showed a big uptick in, in uh, negative health indicators from suicide yeah. to cardiovascular disease and all the way through the, the, the uh, negative health indicators. But there was a smaller group, about a third of it, that actually did quite well. In fact, they not only is the theme of your your radio show today, they not only survived, they actually thrived, they did better. And when the researchers looked at it and analyzed and broke it down and tried to figure out what what was what, they were able to determine that it was, that was a single mindset they called mental hardiness and it had three components, commitment, control, and challenge. And they found that, you know, when you, people who are most resilient are the ones who set goals and are committed to accomplishing them. They're the ones who uh, don't focus on on extraneous events but focus on things they can control. And they see stress as a challenge and not an overwhelming uh, sense or an overwhelming cascade of chronic daily hassles
0: and the like.
1: That's interesting the way they look at it. You know, I, I, look, at, I look at the, the biochemistry of what, when somebody is stressed, the hormones, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, the adrenaline, the cortisol, and studies have shown that those are the, the mm-hmm. hormones in your body that you feel under stress. But they're also the hormones when you feel excited. It's how you view that, how you view or channel those emotions to put them towards something positive, right?
2: Well, that's that's really at the core of the resilient mindset. You're exactly right. It's not the specific event in and of itself, or set of events, or circumstances that determine how someone's going to handle things. It's it's the the meaning they assign it on a basic operational level. It's really how they talk to themselves, mm-hmm.
1: about it, mm-hmm.
2: how they how they think about it that determines their emotional response.
1: Tell us about the social connectivity because we are all physically distanced, and I tell people, yeah, that's, you that's know, great. tell us about, about that because that's so important.
2: Yeah, that's such an important important question. I really don't like the term social distancing. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be curious to know what you think about it too. But it's physical, um,
1: yeah, I, think I don't.
2: Misnomer and what they really mm-hmm. intended to mean or intend to say is physical distancing. I'm glad more people are talking about that. Right. Because the very last thing we need right now is more emotional and social distance from people that are close to us, from a, from a support group. Uh, <clears throat> it is true, though, that, that people are becoming more socially isolated because of these circumstances, and that is, that is a huge problem. Uh, Cigna did a study with 20,000 people and found that, that about 40% of the population experiences loneliness, social isolation,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that, that they, they estimated that it was the equivalent of, of smoking 15 cigarettes daily in terms of its impact.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Yeah. Well, loneliness kills it's, people. It's, it's, yeah, exactly, being disconnected. So worse
2: than that because yeah. people who are socially isolated are more likely to die prematurely from virtually any cause, from, mm. from cardiovascular disease to suicide. And the correlation between those negative health indicators and social isolation is actually stronger than the correlation between cigarette smoking and cancer. Mm.
1: Wow, it is definitely deadly to be isolated socially from everybody. We're really fortunate. A lot of people are, are doing apps, where, for example, House Party or the different apps to chat with their their friends, their groups, all the different people. Tell us about mindfulness and and the other self calming tools.
2: Um, yeah, mindfulness is kind of a kind of a buzzword these days, and you hear about it quite a bit, but. Um, There's actually something very significant to it. It falls under a category of of, uh, interventions that I would classify as as autonomic self-regulation, which directly impacts the nervous system. But um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. No. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Tell us about it. Yeah, very, Very interesting. The answer to that question is very significant. It has to do with what you're asking about. And what it, uh, it was written by a very famous neuroscientist, uh, Robert Sapolsky. And what he determined was that when zebras are chased down by a lion, if they don't get eaten and they survive and they get away, which happens a lot of times, okay, their, their bodies are capable of going from condition red, fight or flight, stress reaction, back down to sort of a condition yellow, which is mm. calm, relaxed, vigilance. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. We can keep it going forever, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Part of it's because you never get the zebras heading back to the herd and pairing up with their friends and saying, "Can you believe how disrespectful <laughs> that lion <laughs> was?" That just doesn't happen.
1: Interesting that they so, can just shut down. Yeah, uh,
2: I'm sorry, I didn't hear.
1: No, go ahead. Keep going.
2: I was saying that uh, that uh, that's exactly. The issue when it comes to mindfulness, because uh, mindfulness is capable, mindfulness training and practice is perfectly uh, suited to help us reduce those those stress hormones, particularly cortisol and adrenaline, which are fine in short bursts if you're dealing with a fight or flight situation, fight or flight situation. But uh, after, as you point out, toxic over over time.
1: You know, a lot of it is is being in the now. I I, I equate mindfulness as in the state of now where it's peaceful. And a lot, when I'm stressed, I don't breathe. I stop breathing. And I tell people, take a deep breath, focus on the now, focus on your breath. Don't fret about what may happen, and don't beat yourself about stuff in the past. Focus right now. Bring yourself back into the now.
2: Exactly, or project what's going to happen in the future. And that's one of the benefits of mindfulness. But I would say that there's a there's a host of other Of uh, other interventions or other tools that people can use. Here's the key to it. There was a a fellow by the name of Dr. Herbert Benson at Harvard who wrote a book called The Relaxation Revolution and he studied mindfulness, he studied self-hypnosis, he studied transcendental meditation and other methods. What he found was that that basically many of them were roughly comparable, roughly comparable in achieving some really positive uh, results. But that they needed four ingredients. They needed to be uh, uh, have a quiet environment, passive state of mind, a relaxed posture, and here's just what you're saying: a mental device, something to focus their attention on, mm-hmm. and and being able to to get out of the past and stop projecting into the future. And in doing that, able to to really establish some very positive benefits, both physiologically and psychologically.
1: That's true. It's and, and it really does to do that. I think for me and a lot of my patients, the social connectivity part, I keep going to that. Uh, I have one patient, when she gets anxious, she picks up the phone and she reaches out and she calls me or she calls somebody else. And the very fact that you're talking to that person right now, they calm down, you're saying, okay, now, you know, take a deep breath. This is what we're going to focus on. And, and they're they're connected with another human being, and, and it's taking care of your body. And, and you mentioned about it's important to take good care of our physical bodies. Can you share more about that?
2: Well, there's a there is, I have a colleague who talks about that and to some extent. He has an interesting way of putting it. He said, you can think of it this way. Sleep. You may have heard of this. It's not brand new. But sleep is power. Food is fuel, and exercise is medicine. Does that? Have you heard that? Say
1: it again, slowly. Say it real slowly, because it's important. Is power. Sleep is power. Yes,
2: food is fuel, and exercise is medicine. Yeah. Basically, what he means by what they mean by sleep is power, is that you know we only have X amount of energy uh, psychologically and physically every day to carry out our carry out our lives. And if we don't get enough sleep, we don't recharge our batteries. And you know the terrible effects that that has. And so very important to get six to eight hours of sleep. You might even have another rest, but what would you say?
1: You know, I think it's it's so true. It's about eight hours or more of good sleep, deep sleep, restful sleep, and then you wake up, it's restorative sleep. That's what you want, that you can relax, turn off the cell phone, don't look at the news. Get yourself in a good relaxation state before you go to bed, and then just let go. Just I, And it's interesting. I've seen a, an uptick of my patients asking for sleeping meds right now. They've asked for anti-anxieties, for sleeping meds. And if you look at how many people have been drinking, I have patients who are struggling right now with substance abuse. So... They're finding ways to self-soothe and calm themselves. But definitely sleep is vital right. to that. Absolutely. Talk about exercise and, and food also. That's important.
2: Yeah, the, the food uh, is, is interesting because, you know, you have in your audience, I'm sure, people with high-octane brains. They're very smart people. They're talented people. And <clears throat> if you put uh, regular gas in, in a high-performance vehicle eventually the engine's going to start pinging and you're going to create some damage in that engine. So you want to think smart about the kind of food you eat and don't put low-octane food in your system very often. And that would, of course, include things like excessive amounts of sugar, comfort foods, uh, and the like. And the exercise as medicine uh, is a little confusing to some people, but I think it makes good sense. And what it basically is saying is that with uh, with exercise and getting yourself on an established exercise routine you know we often recommend about uh, 150 minutes per week of uh, moderate exercise as as a minimum amount and uh, what that does is is uh, create conditions within your body that are very resiliency enhancing Um, just uh, as an example if you think about uh, cardiovascular disease, you could put you you would know better than I do, but I do understand that once people are placed on an exercise a regimen and routine, it can significantly reduce the likelihood of a cardiovascular event. Am I am I right in saying that? Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely for yeah. for mind body. I think you have to have a routine, and I think the challenge is when people are told to stay home. You know, do you do you stay? at home all the time in your pajamas, eat whatever. And, and one of the things people worry is, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain a ton of weight. I'm going to eat junk food. And and if you if you say, listen, I'm going to set up a schedule. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to make my bed. I've got things I want to accomplish. As though you were still working in that sense. And then you set up your routine where you've got time to exercise. You've got time to meditate, make yourself sit down quietly, deep breathe for five, 10 minutes once a day, just to Unwind. You've got to do that, because that way, and it's yeah, the I opportunity think, to do go good ahead. things for yourself. This is actually a great opportunity to reboot yourself, don't you think?
2: No, that's that's a, that's a really good point, and I I think you you described it well. And the only thing I would add to the exercise is just one more example, and that is that I'm sure you've seen the the research when, which compares um, a regular exercise routine uh, with. Antidepressant medication for depression, and the results are are, are pretty comparable,
1: actually. Wow, isn't it so, amazing? That
2: sense, yeah, yeah. You think about it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if you think about it in those terms, sleep is power, food can be fuel, and exercise is like medicine in a certain sense, isn't it?
1: It is, and I'm thinking right now. You've got all the listeners out there who are anxious. What What is your advice? I mean, you're getting lots of great things about resiliency and the things that you'd recommend. What would your prescription be for them right now?
2: Well, first of all, I would say that uh, if you didn't have some anxiety right now, I'd be more concerned about it. <laughs> I think it's perfectly reasonable, makes perfect sense for all of us to have some apprehension and anxiety. But at some point, that becomes unhealthy, doesn't it? So I would, I would offer these two things for them to think about. One of them would be, you ask yourself, whatever level of anxiety you're experiencing, is, is this causing me harmful consequences in some way? And you can have lots of anxiety, and it may be actually motivating you to take, take actions in a dangerous circumstance that can be benefiting you. But if it's causing you harmful consequences, then by definition, it's not a, not one, not a state that you want to, to stay with if you can have a choice. The, um, the second thing is you ask yourself does feeling this way, just feeling this anxiety uh, prevent me from achieving my goals or getting in the way of me doing things. I think mean, once again, if it doesn't do one or both of those things, then that's just a normal level of anxiety and living a, a, a life that, that consists of the things that you and I have been talking about or will be just fine. On the other hand, if it exceeds that, then some of the things we've been talking about will, will, will make sense in particular. The uh, autonomic uh, self-calming tools, mm-hmm. the, the mindfulness, the, the, the um, strategies that deal directly with teaching people how to monitor and regulate and, and down-regulate their nervous system can be very helpful. And there are many things on the Internet and other ways you can get that without actually trying to get professional help. But if you need that, definitely do that as well.
1: Can you tell us before we go to a break in a few minutes about your Resiliency for Life online program?
2: Uh, Well, basically what we have done over the years that we've been working with organizations and folks in this area is is sort of taken the elements that we found to be the most effective and put them in those four pillars that I mentioned uh, early earlier. And then we try to make it available through um, organizations who are interested in keeping their employees healthy or keeping uh, keeping themselves healthy and that sort of thing. And <laughs> so we uh, have used that in a lot of different settings and and what's I think nice about the whole resiliency approach is it's very destigmatizing. You don't have to you don't have to approach it from the standpoint. You know, Dr. Connie I spent I spent many of my professional years trying to help patients go from high levels of distress, you know, anxiety, depression, anger, those sorts of things down to lower levels. Yeah, And that's fine. That's a great thing. That's the province of psychotherapy and it's, and it's really good. But in many ways it's, much more rewarding to try and take people wherever they are, whatever they are, whether healthy, unhealthy, whatever they are.
1: We're going to and pause try, right now, Dr. Cofield. We're okay. going to hit a break right here, and we'll come right back, and we'll talk more about your program. Stay, stay tuned for back. a quick break.
6: To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your
5: doctor?
4: When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States?
5: I'm going to call her
4: office now
5: and join her practice. Dr.
4: County Mariano. This is the Dr. American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. County Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com.
6: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
0: tuned in to house calls with former white house physician dr connie mariano if you have a question or comment for our show today please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to dr connie at gmail.com that's dr radio at gmail.com now back to house calls with dr connie
1: Dr. Michael Cofield, our, our guest, this first part of our our uh, show has has uh, developed an amazing program called Resiliency for Life online program, and he actually has a special offer to our listeners. Dr. Cofield, are you are you able to share with us about that?
2: Uh, yes, I am. Uh, in the spirit of the times, it's not so much an offer as that uh, we like to, because of the fantastic work that you do. and all of, the, all of the good service that you provide to so many people, we want to make it available as a gift to your listeners. And uh, they can access it and, and, and use it. And it, it, it deals with some of the things we talked about today, but there's a lot of other things in there too, as well as something we really didn't get into today, which are their specific tools and techniques. But for those of you who are, are interested and, and would like to follow up, just email us at info at MindAbility.com that's M-I-N-D-A B-I-L-I-T-Y info at MindAbility.com and we will be happy to uh, get you on board and we wish you all the very best.
1: Great, thank you so much Dr. Michael, that has been wonderful and I I thank you for your time and your wisdom and your talent today for helping all our listeners so many thanks. I'm going to switch a little bit here and and, and talk about death because we're, we're we're fearing that. And we've seen over 30,000 deaths in the U.S. due to this virus. And not only of the loss of life, but how many people are suffering out there. We Somebody described it as a culture of grief. There are more victims of the virus because of the living victims, the family members, the friends who delivered their loved ones to the emergency room. And never saw them after that. They came home uh, in a casket and lost that. And you think of losing a loved one and suddenly losing them, not being with them at their time of death, not being able to say goodbye. And I I know that personally. When I lost my husband in July, I saw him fly off. And uh, next time I saw him, I didn't really see his body. I saw a casket. And so it really changes a lot of how you feel in that relationship. And that's why I asked our special guest today, Nina Impala from San Diego, to join us as our call-in guest. I've known Nina for about five or six years now. She's very talented intuitive, insightful. She's a certified hospice professional and a grief counselor. She's known for her candid talks regarding death and dying in her program, Tutoring for the Spirit. She's got amazing abilities. And Nina, you know, and you've been tracking all these people and you're you're in the death business, really, but also how to help families recover from somebody's death. What advice would you give the families out there who've lost someone from COVID-19?
7: You know, um, Dr. Cofield said something really interesting um, when I was listening to his four things that he was talking about, mental hardiness, and that how we think about what's happening is what gives us an emotional response, whether it's positive or negative. So the thing during COVID I think that's really important to look at is what people are actually going through and then putting death on top of that. So we've got so much isolation with our elderly i don't know i'm sure all of our listeners know out there that they are kept behind closed doors their families can't see them my girlfriend had to give her mom food through mm. a fence the other day and she said it was just so hard and then you've got someone that dies like that and you can't go see them you can't go be with them at the end of life so what do you do what Do you do in that situation? Because I've been thinking about this a lot, especially with my own clients. And of course, you know, I get on the phone with people. I I talk to them, but it's about what you were saying, Connie, about your sweet husband is the only place. And I know it sounds trite and I know it sounds so simple, but I bring people into that present moment. And the other thing to remember is you're doing the best that you can with this situation, myself i don't know how i would react if my own mother or my family member was in a hospital and they wouldn't allow me to see them i mean they're very strict about it you cannot go be with them
1: yeah yeah you know and they die yeah
7: so this is a very unique situation that we're experiencing on our planet right now and for all of the grief counselors out there and all of us that are helping people get through this i think the best advice that we can give take the deep breath. Slow down and know that you're doing the best you can in the situation that you're in now. And the social isolation is something that is really tricky, too, because we have to reach out to, like, my fiancé, his 82-year-old mother. We've been calling her a lot because she's not isolated, but she just had a death yeah yesterday
1: oh i 'm sorry and
7: she started crying on the phone with me she 's eighty two years old she 's not on social media or anything like this. This is her third partner that 's passed away, her mm-hmm. first partner passed away, her second partner passed away, mm-hmm. and then this partner just passed away and she can 't go see him she He lives far away from her, so you just and as a counselor, you just stay on the phone, you just listen and you just offer support and truly. Dr. Connie, that's about all we can do right now and just be there for them. Yeah. Because this is just a really unique time. And grief is such a unique thing. I always say grief is is just as unique as your own fingerprint.
1: Yeah. You're so right. I'm going to also do a... Uh, a plug here for your show, Nina. Nina is going to have her own show on Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's airing Wednesday, May the 6th at 3 p.m. I'm going to encourage listeners and anybody out there who's struggling with having lost a loved one to listen in to Nina and Paula's show. So Nina, I'm going to thank you. And that's a, I want everyone to listen into your show because I think it'll help and I will definitely be listening in. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm just going to, I'm going to make a few observations about this past month. Number one is I truly believe the majority of us are going to get through this. We're going to survive. We're going to do okay. Number two, about being resilient. You know, the things that Dr. Cofield had shared about that. Listen to those, those tools to make you resilient through this. Hopeful and optimistic. Okay. Focus on hope focus on optimism to get us through it. We will survive, but the thing I ask is, can you thrive? Can you thrive in this difficult time when you can take something good from the bad? Now ask yourself, what good have I learned or experienced from this difficult time? Now as a physician, I believe that good has come from this in several ways. Number one, people are learning a lot about how viruses spread, right? they're learning about a virus. They're also learning the importance of washing their hands, avoiding spreading respiratory droplets on other people and the impact of that. As a result, I'm hoping with all the hand washing and the conscientiousness we see that we're going to see a decline in flu this fall, that that it's not going to spread as much. Then I wonder, how are we going to be changed? Are we going to continue to shake hands after they lift The ban on social distancing, will that go away? We won't shake hands anymore. Are we going to rub elbows? Are we going to bow in acknowledgement? Are we going to wave? What about the good things that, that can come from tough times? More time with your family, seeking connection with friends, reaching out to people, more time at home, cooking at home finding ways to actually be there with your kids and not be distracted. And I realized how many of us live distracted lives. And I think this time at home for me has allowed me to fully grieve my husband's death because I was distracted all the time, going to work in the morning and then afterwards going to dinner out every night. And and so really I kept distracting or delaying that grief and finally being home, not being distracted. I look at relationships, and I used to think that the true test of a relationship was this, that you can do a cross-country trip with them without wanting to kill them, right? it's changed after this pandemic. If you can be quarantined with someone and still get along after the end of a quarantine, then you can be married to them, believe me, right? Quarantine is the true test of a marriage or a relationship. Who would you like to be quarantined with, right? Think about that. So the final good thing, I think, that comes from this tough time is spirituality. Do you think it was a coincidence that at the peak of the virus— that it happened during the Passover and Holy Week? Do you think that was by coincidence? I think of the lessons and the experience of the Passover in the Jewish faith and the final days of Christ, his crucifixion, the resurrection among us in the Christian faith. But it happened at the time that we were thinking we were going to get the most number of deaths. So what meaning do we take from this? And I believe to me the big lesson is that of hope and of faith. Hope and faith, you can't see them, right? Just like this virus, you can't see them, but you can see their impact on our lives. So it is with faith and hope that I wish you to be safe at this time. I truly do. Safety from the virus, but also safety from fear and misinformation, because that's what drives anxiety. I hope that everybody will stay positive, optimistic, but also kind to others everybody's so stressed out. When I go to a drive up and order some coffee or when I order something to go, I tell the person back there who's got the mask on and the gloves, I said, stay well, stay healthy. And I tip them extra, right? Because people are hurting, people are suffering. But if you can be kind to them, it helps them. But guess what? It also helps you. It helps you feel better. I hope that you will each take this time to take care of yourselves. We've all hit the pause button. You know, there are all these buttons in our lives. There's a panic button. There's all these buttons. And one of the ones is the pause button. There's a snooze button. Don't want to do that. But just pause and think, this is my opportunity to focus on taking care of myself. I'm going to be loving to myself. I'm going to be caring because you want to build your Resiliency. So, if you do get sick, you've got a robust immune system that can fight this virus beautifully. And I'm not going to. Even though I'm going to be physically distanced, I'm going to be socially connected. I'm going to make phone calls every day to people I I think about. Whoever pops into my mind, I'm going to reach out and call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to say, "How are you doing?" And every day. I get texts from different friends saying, how are you? That's all it takes. How are you doing? I'm reaching out. And it means so much that you count, that somebody thought of you. So I'm going to wish you the tools of resilience that Dr. Cofield shared. I'm going to wish you the, the advice that Nina shared. I'm going to ask you to listen in to her show. And I'm going to ask you to learn from this and to thrive during this tough time. So with that, I'm going to end our show today. And God bless you all.